Good morning, and thank you uh, for allowing me to be here this morning. I'm so incredibly grateful to this church, its pastors, its people. Um, I spent a lot of time here, uh, really from high school through college with Ross as my youth pastor, and I spent time in a lot of y'all's homes. And um, so this is just a, a church that means a lot to me. Um, there are seasons and moments in our life that have a way of just changing our life forever, and Morningside is definitely one of those seasons for me. Um, I want to tell y'all a story about Ross, one of my first memories about Ross. I was a freshman in high school, I think, and we used to have portables back out there. Some of y'all remember them. Um, And the youth met in one of those portables, and shortly after Ross got here, he was doing what a lot of uh, new youth pastors do, and he was cleaning out some of the old stuff. He was like, why is this still here? Let's get rid of it. And he called some of the youth to come help. And so I was here on a Saturday morning, I guess, um, some other high school guys, and we're clearing out old stuff. And it was the end of our time, and I turned the corner, I'm walking outside, and all of a sudden, I'm just enveloped by a cloud of white smoke. And like my eyes burn a little bit, it smells like vinegar, and I'm trying to figure out what is going on, and it clears, and there's a 23-year-old Ross Decker with a fire extinguisher just laughing. And that, I don't know what it was about Ross, uh, I don't know what it was about the church here, but God brought me here, God kept me here, and God used this church uh, to do an incredible thing in my life. In the last year, though, all of us have gone through a season that's changed our life in some way. And we're still waiting to see how that's going to change life and just culture in general. Um, I wonder if movies, like the going to the movie theater is going to be a thing anymore. Um, we, maybe we've all gotten used to Netflix and things just dropping on Netflix. Um, I personally have gotten used to uh, Instacart and DoorDash and things like that. I don't, you know, why go to the grocery store if they can bring it to me? Um, so we have all had our lives altered. Some less fun ways, a lot less shaking hands, a lot less hugs, and um, I know we are all tired of masks. We're all adapting to a new reality in our homes, our schools, our workplaces, and also churches. This is something we've had to, as churches in general, have had to figure out new ways and creative ways uh, to do what the church is supposed to be doing. And so this morning, I want to open us up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, sorry, chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3, because I think in this passage, we see just a clear and simple explanation of what the church is and what it's supposed to be doing. I don't think this passage is exhaustive in all that we're supposed to do as a church, but I think it's helpful and applicable to the season that we're in. And... I think we can summarize this passage in one just short, simple sentence. We gather as God's holy people. We gather as God's holy people. So let's read that passage together, and then we'll dive in. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, Called as saints with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this letter Paul is writing to one specific church, to the church at Corinth. 
And so this was a, a body of believers that gathered at, in one specific location, in one specific city, to do what the church is called to do. And so first, I just want to point out simply that we gather as a church. Now, the word church uh, is a common word to us. We've grown up hearing it. And so church kind of comes to mean to us whatever our experience of church is. But this word for church at the, like the core of its meaning is simply an assembly, a gathering. And so gathering is an essential activity of the church that we gather together. We can't do the Christian life on our own. We can't do it in isolation. And so this is a good reminder for us in this time that as a lot of us have had to go to online stuff, and I know some people may be listening online this morning, uh, there, there are seasons and times where the church may have to cancel services, whether it's weather. Um, I know about this time last year, our church had to cancel our Wednesday night stuff um, because of, of bad weather and actually worked out. It was kind of convenient for me because my wife happened to go into labor that same night. Talking about seasons that have a way of changing our, our life forever. Um, and so this last year, we've gone through COVID and a, a now one-year-old, a newborn, um, all at the same time. But uh, we canceled for that weather service. So uh, just we wanted people to be safe. And at the beginning of all this, a lot of churches had to cancel in-person services because we wanted to figure out what was going on and we wanted to make sure that we were safe. But that is always temporary. There's, there's no replacement for being together in person. And if you have had to uh, do a, any sort of long-distance relationship with family, um, and maybe you have grandchildren or grandparents or uh, maybe even parents who are living in another state or, or far away, you know that FaceTime is not the same as an in-person conversation. Right, we FaceTime regularly with our son, FaceTime and grandparents, and especially at the beginning of COVID, we had a newborn, and we're like, what is this? You know, we were extra cautious, and so we would FaceTime grandparents, but we longed for the day when we could get together in person again, and then my dad could hold my son without having to wear a mask or, or you know, without us having to worry about social distancing. We longed for that day because we knew that, that it's just so much better than, than a virtual relationship. And this is true in the church as well. We are a, a family of believers, and I don't say that as just some, uh, you know, nice way to talk about the church. Like, the church is actually a family. It's actually, we're actually brothers and sisters in Christ, and if we have a relationship with Christ, then we're closer to other people who have a relationship with Christ than we even are, than we are even our own flesh and blood who do not know Jesus. And so we're an intimate and very relational group of believers, and gathering is essential to what we do. Why is it important that we gather? We gather for corporate singing to encourage the body of believers, to worship God together, to proclaim his worthiness together. Corporate worship also imprints on our hearts spiritual truths. We gather together to hear the, the preaching of the word God has entrusted the preaching of the word to your pastor for the benefit of this church. And Pastor Brian's high and serious calling is to shepherd specifically this body of believers, no other body. He's not responsible to God. He's not gonna give an account to God for another church in Tallahassee. He's gonna give an account to God for this church. 
And so it's important that we gather together and pursue that high and serious calling together. Hebrews 13, 17 calls us to obey and submit to our leaders. Not just any Christian leader, but specifically the leaders at our local church. Specifically because they're the ones who keep watch over your souls and who will give an account. Your connection groups provide the type of relational community that's necessary for discipleship. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you to invest in each of these different types of gatherings. And if for the time being, that means that you specifically and your family need to do this online or be creative in how you do this, then by all means do that. But there's a day when, I mean, I feel confident and optimistic that that day is right around the corner where we can go back to normal life and and really pursue this activity as a church together. In this day and age, the temptation of convenience uh, is there for us to just do online church and to uh, to gather in or to not gather, but just to to find our podcast, to find the worship that we like. And I think the danger in this is that we can begin to just choose whatever our preference is, and we don't learn to practice laying down our preferences for other people. All of the youth are, are going to be reading uh, Philippians two, three through four. That, That verse that uh, let each of us not consider our own needs, but those of the others. And I butchered that, Ross. I'm sure you've got it memorized, right? Um, Something about having lights on you, you forget your own name. But we, where was I now? I got distracted. Um, We, the podcast, thank you, that's the word you said. Um, podcast, the, the being able to listen to whatever worship that we want. We, we can make church all about us. And we forget that we gather together, we um, are submitting to one another out of love. But this is also, this passage is a good reminder that the church doesn't just gather locally, it also gathers globally. Verse two says that uh, Paul is writing to the church of God at Corinth, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we worship with our local church family, we are also joining together in worship with believers all over the world. And the universality universality of our worship is what anchors, provides an anchor and a stability for our faith. From uh, in other parts of 1 Corinthians, you pick up on this idea that the church in Corinth thought very highly of themselves. 1 Corinthians 14.36 says, uh, Paul wrote, did the word of God originate from you or did it come to you only? And this was essentially his way of saying, like, you do not get to define the Christian faith. It has been defined for us. Your version of it, the way you're practicing it, is not the only way to do this. I don't know about you, um, maybe you've gone to somebody's house and, and played a board game or a card game, maybe like Uno um, or Monopoly, I think those two games specifically, because those two games tend to have a lot of house rules, um, where you, you can go play Uno in one person's house, and they have all sorts of rules, but then you go play it in somebody else's house, and, and they've got completely different rules. And it's still essentially the same game. Um, but sometimes you'll come across somebody who's playing Uno in a way that you've never played it before, and you start to wonder, like, is this even 
the same game. We need to be careful of churches that are doing the same thing. When you go to a different church, they may do something slightly differently, but if you're ever in a church and you're wondering, are we even doing the same thing? Is this, is this the same Bible? Is this the same uh, Jesus? If you're ever in that church, I encourage you to get out and get out quickly. It's be- because the church has a long and rich history that has been consistent from the beginning and has been and is consistent across the globe. Church history and denominational life help anchor us to Christian truth. We're not in competition with other Christian churches in our area. Um, and I encourage you, whenever you're out of town, go visit a local church in that area. Um, one, the newness of everything will give you fresh insight as you worship. And you'll gain the valuable perspective of a visitor. When somebody comes to Morningside as a visitor, you'll, you'll know what it's like to be in their position. And also, especially if you're going as a family, you'll impress on your family's heart the importance of gathering together with other believers. This passage reminds us as well that we gather as diverse people who can learn from one another. Uh, Paul wrote this letter, but he also named Sosthenes as somebody who is writing this with him. And uh, Sosthenes is a noticeably Greek name. And and here um, we also see at the end of this, in verse three, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That grace and peace was uh, pretty unique to Paul. And so what he's doing is he's combining both the Greek and the Jewish greeting uh, because he knows that he's, He's speaking to a Greek and a Jewish audience. If you just look on the page to your left in Romans 16, Paul is greeting all these people in the church at Rome, and many of them are coming from all sorts of different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different experiences. And just as similarly today, the church is made up of a diverse group of people, and we can learn from this diversity this diversity helps us to, fall, to follow Jesus. And honestly, if, some of, if, if we're all the same, some of us are, youth, are useless. And this is why it's so important that we don't just do online church by ourselves forever because we forget to lay aside our preferences for the love of others. Um, <clears throat> our unity despite diversity as well, proclaims that the gospel is indeed good news to all people and all cultures. The diversity of the church is vital to our mission to make disciples of all nations. Satan is very likely and almost certainly trying to use this time and will continue to use this time to increase division in this church and in churches around the world to limit our effectiveness in this community. And so it's important that we gather together to encourage one another and that we find stability in the rich history of the church and that we learn to disagree in a way that helps all of us follow Jesus better. But ultimately, if we're going to resist the devil, we must submit to God's authority over the church. And so we don't just gather, we gather as God's. So submission to God is an essential attitude of the church.
Paul wrote that he was called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. In chapter 9 of this book, Paul writes to the Corinthians, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? You are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And so what he's doing is he's challenging the Corinthians. Again, they thought highly of themselves. They thought that, um, yeah, it doesn't matter what Paul says. We can do this Christianity thing our own way. But Paul was calling them back to his authority as an apostle. And he wasn't calling them back specifically to his authority, but it was his authority that was given to him by Jesus as an apostle. An apostle was someone who saw the risen Lord Jesus and was sent to start new churches in new places. The apostles played a very important role in the early church. They ultimately um, were the, the key factor in determining which scriptures made it into the Bible. A book of the, the New Testament had to be either be written by an apostle or in some way had the seal of approval by an apostle. For example, Luke and Acts, both written by Luke, uh, was a traveling companion of Paul, so had a close association with an apostle. And so the church in Corinth was questioning Paul's authority here. And as a church, we must remain submitted to the authority of God's word in our lives. Now, Understanding and applying scripture is often easier said than done. Um, if you are trying to read through the Bible in a year right now, uh, you're probably realizing this. I imagine at this point you're probably somewhere in, in Leviticus and you're like, I don't know what to do with this, right? Um, understanding and applying scripture is often easier said than done. And so we have two obstacles to overcome. One is our flesh, and by that I mean our, our sin, our sinful attitude and nature. And the second obstacle we have to overcome is our finitude. And I apologize for using that word, but flesh and finitude both start with an F. And as a good Baptist, I have to do that. So by our finitude, I mean our limitations as human beings in this world. So first I want to look at our flesh. Our flesh limits our understanding and our desire to obey God's word. And so the solution of that is the Holy Spirit. God has given his spirit to us for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus so that we can understand scripture and walk in obedience to it. And so if God's word never convicts you of sin or confronts your beliefs, you may need to ask if the spirit of God is guiding your reading or if your sin is blinding you to the truth. But we have our human limitations to overcome our life experiences shape the way that we read this book, inevitably. And they influence how we apply it to our lives. Here's an example. One seminary professor did a study. He asked 100 students from the U.S. to read the story of the prodigal son and then retell it. So just, um, just to make sure we're on the same page. I'm sure all of y'all know the story of the prodigal son, but the, the son runs away from home. He asks his dad for his inheritance before he leaves, and then he wastes all of his inheritance and is living in poverty and then decides, you know what? I can go home and be a slave in my father's house. And he goes home, and his dad runs out to meet him. So this story, he asked 100 students from the U.S. to read this story and then retell it. And he asked 50 students from Russia to do the same thing. Out of 100 American students, only six of them 
mentioned the famine, but 42 out of 50 Russian students mentioned the famine. Why? Because a devastating famine killed 670,000 Russians during World War II. And so this was in their cultural memory. But as, as Americans, it's not something that we think about. We don't think about famines. <clears throat> we haven't likely experienced them ourselves. All right, so that, you know, they missed kind of a detail about the story. How does this affect our theology? Well, Americans view this famine maybe as an unnecessary plot device, and so we focus on this application of Scripture that speaks to willful rebellion and repentance, that God is waiting for us to come home. But Russians and Christians from other cultures who may be more familiar with famine notice God's faithfulness and hopeless situations. They notice how God may use a difficult circumstance, and in fact, bring about a difficult circumstance to wake us up and to call us home. Now, I wonder how many of us are going to read the Bible and notice the word plague a whole lot more after this last year. And maybe we'll come to that realization as well, that God uses difficult circumstances in our lives to call us to greater faithfulness. The solution is the church. The solution to our our limitations is the church, both in its local and universal expressions. Christians from across the globe, maybe across the street, and throughout history can provide insight into Scripture that we might otherwise miss. Maybe in one of your connection groups, you're reading through the book of Job, and somebody in there has experienced difficult suffering and has walked through terrible grief in a way that you have not. That person can bring some understanding to that book that maybe you would have missed. Now, you might ask, well, if I've got the Holy Spirit to guide me into truth, then why do I need other people? Well, the Holy Spirit is also in other people guiding them into truth, and God wants to use other people to speak truth into our lives. And so we also must be careful not to discount passages of Scripture because they don't agree with our current cultural understanding. Culture is always changing, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And then finally, um, we gather As gods, we submit to his authority in our life, but we also gather as God's holy people. Paul wrote to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. We are sanctified, called as saints. Holiness is an essential attribute of the church. Paul, that Paul wrote that we are sanctified, and I don't want to bore you with how this uh, means that this is a work that's already completed. It's something that we didn't do, that God did it for us. And so positionally speaking, we are already a holy people through faith in Jesus Christ. When God sees us, if we've placed our, our faith in Jesus, he sees someone who is perfectly righteous and holy in every way because he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And God has placed his, his seal of approval on us in the form of the Holy Spirit. He's set us apart for the day of redemption. So positionally, we're already a holy people, but practically on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment experience, we're lacking, right? Every single one of us, um, we are lacking in in practical holiness. We are not yet perfect. We're, it's something we're striving for 
with God's help. We are called to be saints. And so this side of heaven, we need to measure success and progression and not perfection. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, God has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And though you were dead in your sin, you're now alive to Jesus. And by the power of that same spirit, you should be walking closer and closer in obedience to God as the years go by. I would hope that you're not the same person that you were the moment that you were saved, whether that was a week ago or 10 years ago or 60 years ago. I know that even though I am far from looking just like Jesus, I'm a little bit closer than I was when I was a high school here, and I hope some of y'all can agree to that and attest to that. And God has used godly women and men along the way as I spent time in their homes, as I sat under their teaching, God has used them to help me grow. And so our gathering needs to be intentional and not surface level. And I don't just mean in content wise, but when we gather in connection groups or maybe even in corporate worship, uh, we need to be going deeper in application for our lives and also relationally with one another as we pursue holiness together. And our Christ-likeness should be visible in the community. So Morningside, your, your uh, reputation of Christ-likeness should be clear and evident to Buck Lake. It should be clear that God's people are gathering here weekly. And this isn't just a reflection of the community once a week. That doesn't mean that we don't invite imperfect people here. We recognize that all of us are imperfect, but there is something different and set apart about us. And so what role are you playing in the spiritual development of our church? Because this church needs you and your experiences and what God has, has shown you in scripture for all of us to pursue holiness together. Don't give up on one another. Um, The Corinthian church was full of very imperfect people. And honestly, I'm slightly amazed that God, that Paul didn't just give up on this frustrating church. You might be frustrated with this church and some of its people were imperfect and so are you. And so we all need some grace and correction from each other as we pursue holiness together. And so we gather as God's holy people Gathering is an essential activity of the church. Submission to God and to one another is an essential attitude of the church. And holiness is an essential attribute of the church. And I want to invite you to do to, to I want to invite you today to do whatever the Spirit of God is leading you to do. Maybe you need to commit to reconnecting or connecting with the people of God. Maybe you need to join this church in membership. Or maybe you have been kind of just slack in your attendance. You come once a month or every once in a while, but you need to be committed to being here regularly so that you can pursue holiness together with this body of believers. And maybe you've just been kind of slack about holiness in general and you need to recommit to that. God, I want to pursue righteousness and holiness in my life. But if you've never placed your trust in Jesus, then I want to invite you especially to do that today. God is calling you to join a family of believers that love one another and extend grace to one another and forgive one another. 
God is calling you to experience the joy of following him and doing what he has called you to do with your life. And ultimately, God has called you to holiness, a holiness that is freely given to you by the blood of Jesus. And he's all, all he's asking you to do is to trust entirely in him for that. And so if you need to do any of those things this morning, um, I want to invite you, encourage you uh, to use our, our closing worship to pray, uh, maybe at the end of the service, come talk to a pastor about how, um, or a church member about how they can help you to do one of those things. And so as we close this morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning as, as people who are not holy on our own, but God, we thank you because you have made us holy. God, you have made us yours. And Father, I ask that you would help us just to daily and continually submit to your authority in our life. God, that you would help us to submit to one another out of love and out of reverence for Christ. And God, I pray for Morningside, God, that their reputation as a church that loves you and loves people would grow more and more until all in this community and beyond it and around the world have placed their trust in you. And God, we look forward to the day when we are perfect. God, we look forward to the day when we are celebrating with the entire church throughout history and glorifying you in worship. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.